0: Hello, hello, listeners to the third way podcast. Uh, as a reminder, essays from a pandemic is out on mm-hmm. Amazon as a, uh, as a print book, which I got in my hands a couple of weeks ago and it looks beautiful. And also Kindle, Kindle, it's cheap. It's like $1.99. Um, and if you're a subscriber to the third way, um, I'll send you a free copy signed. So if you're listening to this and you're not a subscriber, then let's rectify that. Um, I'm joined today by a friend of mine that I, uh, we've known each other. We just figured this out before we hit record. We've known each other for eight years. Um, and, and Michael is the oldest friend I have that I've never met in person. <laughs> so, And despite knowing Michael and considering him one of my dearest friends in the world, I still don't know how to say his last name properly. So, Michael... <laughs> Introduce yourself with your last name,
1: <laughs> Michael, with the long last name, Santarcangelo.
0: Santarcangelo, what does that mean? The holy archangel, holy arch, man, that is appropriate because
1: <laughs> Michael. Well, And then, when, and if you know your archangels, then yeah. Michael, okay, right, I, yeah, I can live with this name.
0: So, we call, so you'll hear me say so often, uh, friends of mine that know that know, you know, hear me talk about you, I, you go, I go, you go by your nickname, Santa. Um, and it's not because you look like Santa it's just your last name. What's interesting about it though, Santa, for those of you that are listening, Santa is the person that you reach out to, uh, either as a friend, or if you hire him as a, as a, as a consultant or coach to break shit. Like if you want to know if something's breakable, an idea, a process, um, a strategy, he will stress test that shit. Like nobody else I know, um, (laughs) <laughs> and uh, so, anyway, that's the that's how would you describe, though, before we get into the questions, what you do for a living? Like, who's your audience? What do you do for them?
1: My audience are technical leaders uh, that are, but they're, they're leading transformation. So, my core audience today are security leaders, but I work with the security leaders that want to be recognized as great leaders who Ooh. happen to be good at security not right. just a oh, really good attack. Leave me alone. Right. But but what I've come to realize too, is that in, in these days, uh, my background for the last 25 years is in cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. CEOs need it. The boards need it. Um, one of the things we'll talk about uh, today is, I mean, you know, t- t- they really don't understand. No, they totally understand the concept. They don't understand some of the details. So uh, what I've realized is I'm doing a lot more work with CIOs, um, mm-hmm. And CFOs and and people that are tasked with leading digital transformations in their organizations, that need to do so in a way that incorporates incorporates security, but it does it does more than that. And so what I what I usually talk about is at the brand level, for the for the business security catalyst, it's how leaders leaders any leader connects security to business results. Hmm. Me at a higher level, I'm I'm about accelerating change. It's it's how do we connect ideas and people? How do we reduce friction? How do we accelerate change? Uh, you know and in, in, things better than we found it right i I look a lot at value and how do we deliver value
0: Mm -hmm. yeah the sign uh we're not posting the video but the sign behind you says what says love and that's cool then it says deliver value faster i think those are probably related it goes to uh you know Brene brown says clear as kind clear as kind and i think value is uh, i you know i've been thinking about this idea for a while of convertible value we talk about value creation but but we don't. But we talk about convertible value, and we often think of like shares or eyeballs, and that's that's not necessarily all that convertible. You look at what's happened, like with Tesla stock, as an example. Um, convertible value, the most convertible value there is, is to have a community of people that love love you and and um, that that you believe in and they believe in you. I think that's the highest convertible value. But that's a topic for another time. <laughs>
1: No, and it, and it's a good topic. What I'll say on the love stuff—that's interesting—is um, in in some some parts of this is interesting because it, you've influenced this in a really really cool way. But in the '90s, when I started doing a lot of stuff with security, I, I would say to my team all the time, "Where's the love?" Before it was a, a Black Eyed Peas song, like where, "Where's the love?" Uh, you know, and, and how do we and how do we do this? And and are we are we using enough love in this? To the point where I would have people bring me in postcards that had love on it. They would bring me in stickers, they would bring me in stamps, like the whole the whole bit of stuff. And somewhere mm. along the way I kinda got away from that. But in the last couple years, uh, I saw that sign and I went, okay, this this it, it spoke to me. But what's interesting too, and, and again, this is just off topic, but as a quick compliment to you, we you and I have talked about the conclusion of the hero's journey to begin the artist's journey, and you pointed out that there's a there's a middle journey in there, uh, which is the heroine's journey. And that's really, that is, that's to me, that's the journey of love. That's the inward love. And uh, what's interesting is, is when you said it, I was like, Oh, that makes sense. And, and I've had time to think on it. Damn, is that powerful? And and it's true. And it's really interesting because I think I've, I've essentially now concluded that journey and it's allowed me to fully embrace that artist journey. And you can't do that without love, either of those journeys, you, you, you need that. And I think it's I think it's time to bring that back and to talk about that because if because if it's not there, what are we doing? What are so we anyway, doing? Yeah, and and
0: and it's the you know it's the this is especially important where it comes from men men talking yeah. with other men about this um, this is why I like to say I like to speak to unfriendly rooms about mysticism and spirituality and business you know because it freaks freaks people out and I, I like to do that. So we could talk about a million things, but going along the lines though of change, love, connecting, is that tech leaders often struggle with connecting and connecting with and motivating others. That's a common issue, I think, with tech leaders. Um, And so there's this kind of intersection here, um, or or you could say leaders of technology-based companies too. You know, Um, and I think everybody's in the people business, and most just struggle with that. Um, and so the topic today or the intersectional topic today is resistance and change. A little homage to Mr. Pressfield. Um, and and but focusing on for the sake of this conversation, and I think people have can extrapolate for their world the some some similar um ideas around you know tech and engineering leaders. So I'll start with this one, which is how come, why do they struggle? Why do tech and engineering leaders struggle? so much with the people side of change
1: yeah i've been i've been thinking about that a little bit too and and you know my my initial question is well what's the problem that we're trying to solve and what's the problem that they're trying to solve um I, i don't disagree with the assertion that people especially those that come from strong technical backgrounds i think we're seeing i think in the tech industry we're seeing that there's almost like two types of leaders and it's not fair because it, I think there's one type of leader, but, but you're seeing this a uh, little bit of a bifurcation into I'm a technical leader and I have to learn this people thing. And I'm, I'm a business minded, I'm a people minded leader and okay, I'll figure out the tech. And I, I, what we look at is, you know, to be, to be successful, the answer is yes. You, you need a certain amount of fluency and in, in, let's say literacy is good enough on the tech side. And then you have to be good at people. So I guess my question back just to frame it and to give people something to think about is are they struggling with change overall or are they struggling with the people side of change? So when you look at that, like what's the people side of change mean relative to change overall?
0: Well, I think that again, you know you know this audience way better than I do, but I know lots of people in tech that are in tech or engineers, STEM, basically STEM people. And um, the system, the systemic and system side of it, they are Awesome with you know the designing the process designing the flow designing the even the customer experience there there's so much skill and and brilliance out there I think where it starts to shift for them is when it gets out of that which they cannot control because engineering is ultimately about control and I don't mean that in a negative way and necessarily an authoritarian way but it's about creating structures infrastructure systems the frameworks that um, are about predictability and control, and people are always the X factor. Um, and um, so we there's a another person, um, Vlad Shapiro, that I know that's in uh, cybersecurity, and he has this term called uh, costidity, which is the cost of stupidity, um, which is the people side of you know cybersecurity. And and so I think I think that's where it is is this lot this inability to control the outcome, and I also uh, bl- put a lot of blame on the woo woo crowd of uh, in business because they they don't necessarily they focus way too much on culture and not enough on performance and engineers and tech leaders are like we still got to sell shit we still got to make shit we still got to do shit and. We can sit around and play hacky sack and and um, you know sip our, our matcha tea in the afternoons, but work still got to get done. So I think there's this this sense of that they can't control people like they can control a system, and the current methods that are kind of seen out there, what I call Taco Tuesdays, you know, or Hawaiian Shake Shirt Fridays, these sort of cultural initiatives seem sort of lost to these analytical people and they're probably right it's that's not how you motivate people to change or or enroll in change i should say
1: i like that enrolling in change i like that a lot so yeah i I, th- I think you're you're in on something there with the the control side of it you know what i always point out to folks is um for as dumb as we seem as people we also do some pretty remarkable and amazing stuff right and that's where that love comes back in but but I think if we go back to it, the roots of tech in particular. In fact, most people get their start in tech this way. Welcome, don't fuck up. Like yeah. that's like that's 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 your that's your first day. It, that was yeah. my first day, and and so a lot of people in tech are taught you better be right. You can't mm-hmm. say I don't know, and and you can't be wrong. And so yeah, we we look for. Uh, control we look for predictability right we look for some sort of of that type of stuff and so when it comes to change whether it's it's a need to change or a desire to change i'm going to ask a different question how many of us study it how Mm -hmm. many of us really look at change versus being changed because like i always find it fascinating when somebody will say i thrive on change yeah Uh, that's literal bullshit that's not possible uh, that's just not how our bodies are wired. It's not how our biology works. Can you respond to change? Yes. Can you adapt to change? Yes. What you're saying is I like things to I like things to change. And so I like being in situations where things change. Mm-hmm. Cool. Go examine that. Probably another topic. But mm-hmm. but so what I find a lot of times when it comes to people in technology, and we say, well, what what's their challenge with people? A lot of them got into technology because they've sold themselves the lie that they're not people people, and they don't do they don't they people well, and they don't like people, and, and they don't have to do that stuff in tech. P.S., of course you do, and mm-hmm. now they do, and they're lost because nobody ever taught them. Nobody ever said it's okay not to know how to do this. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever said, hey, this stuff is is changing, and, and it requires an effort. I'll give you a quick example to frame up where we go with this. Uh, I just put together – it's free, right? So part of what I do on this artist journey, my goal is to give away 99% of what I do. I'll charge the last 1%. Um, and really, that's, that's about working with me. So so I'm not. So what I realize is a lot of people in tech don't know how to take a break. And they're, they're half assed attempts to take a break, don't give them any recharge, don't let them upcycle, don't let them do anything. So I say, Okay, cool. Well, I'll break this down into three steps. I'll put together a guide for it. Okay, but Justin, I can't just say, Well, here's a guide, everybody go use it because because I can't do that, right, because I don't know where they're at. So I have to create, we can get fancy and say I have to create enough structural tension and appropriate framing to guide their journey to it. But the reality of it is, I have to give them a map and I have to meet them where they're at. And the first thing I have to do is get them to actually read a blog post or listen to something I've produced, where they can say, Oh, I get it, I need a break. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't know how to take one. And then they have to go and have to download the guide. That's a, it's a, its own step. Then they have to actually open up and read the guide. Now it's not long. I specifically designed it to be a couple hundred words. Well, maybe a little bit more, with with interactivity. Wait, so you got to read the guide. Then you guys have to do the work and fill it out. Oh, okay. Well, let's give them a workshop around that. Well, then that means that I have to go plan that workshop, which then means I've got to get people not only to, not only to read the post, <clears throat> consider if they have the challenge download the guide, read the guide, fill the guide out, come to the workshop to then ask the questions. And I still haven't convinced them that, they, that they're going to take a break yet. And then what I'd really like at the end of them taking a break is to reflect on that process, be better for it and be able to do it again. Yeah. And so if you map that out on the slow, the slow burn, which is kind of what the rest of my day is going to be, what is, what is that six, seven, eight touch points mm-hmm. mi- minimum, but but then if you go look at each of those and you say, yeah, but are any of those going to work on their own? No, not really. Okay, so this is a free guide. This mm-hmm. is an absolutely free guide with love for people who need a break. Mm-hmm. And and it's going to take me mm-hmm. uh, a lot of time and, and energy and effort just to get somebody to pay attention to something that's in their own best interest. Right. Okay, so if, if that's if that's that much effort and nobody even thinks about stuff that way or maps it out, and then we say, "Go do change." Oh, oh you suck at people. You didn't change well. well. Of course they didn't. They didn't. They didn't understand what they're up against.
0: Right. And you know, I do think that engineer-minded people, left-brain, analytical people, do tend to see themselves as machines. Um Agreed. And also, there's a lot of neurodivergent people in tech, and those of us, for example, as ADHD, us ADHDers, we have we can be flinty. We can be hard to be around because we just don't tolerate bullshit. And You know, so you see neurodivergence and lower emotional intelligence sometimes. Now, that's not an excuse, but there is a reason for it. So I want to take something you said, looping back, and I'm going to just nerd, forgive me, like one minute of nerding out over something, is you talked about, you said something very profound is that people don't understand change. They don't study change. I think that's how you said it. So I'm going to channel my partner, Virginia, because she is, her PhD is in, um, basically in the field of complexity science, which is the study of change. And um, I knew a little bit about complexity science before meeting her. And now I know a lot more, never will know <laughs> she does. Uh, but what's fascinating to me is the conflict that change has with uh, essentially hierarchical and I would say patriarchal type sort of masculine structures. It's just an antithesis to it. You know, we, we we use throwaway terms like top down, bottom up, you know, servant leader. Really, what we're saying is, is that you don't lead your people um, or you don't make your people do anything. They choose to. That's why I say leaders do not empower. That's bullshit. Leaders only disempower. Um, and so anyway, within complexity science is that this, this, this complexity science is this understanding that of this ecosystem of a self-regulating system what we would call a culture but if you don't have autonomy within a culture if you don't build in autonomy within a culture it will resist all change even the most open-minded person will resist it if they don't feel free if they don't feel liberated to be themselves and 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 I think this is where this is this transition that we're going through as We move from sort of the machine age to the human age that if you want to move people, if you want to, if you want to change, if you want to deliver value faster, you have to understand that you don't control the change. All you can do is create the conditions for the system to self-regulate. And it's sort of like. Uh, leader or leadership meets libertarianism, but with a small L, because big L libertarians seem to be fucking crazy. But you know that it's it's some sort of small L libertarian thing that is a mindset that is is foreign to like the woo woo people first crowd and the hard ass like linear engineering crowd. It is that it is a hat tip to the name of the, my community, the Third Way, that 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 complexity science and seeing change this way as something to study instead of control is the third way. And those that figure it out are going to have a significant competitive advantage, primarily related to talent and velocity.
1: Yeah. Oh, no, I I totally agree with that. The the thing I said there too, is everything you just described works in our bodies at the cellular level. Like we're wired for homeostasis. Yes. Right now. Can we, can we gain weight or lose weight? Yes. Can we change our minds or not? Well, some people can do we like, but, but like, but, 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 but there's also there's there's a response to stimulus, which is which is considered adaptation or evolution, which is different than change. Right? They're, they're part of change. It's kind of like can, can you can you change without transformation? Yes. Can you be transformed without without change? No. So it's it's like when we start looking at that. So so as you know now, or as you as you've known, but but now you know deeply and better than me, change is its own thing. So when we go to this, right? So go back to tech. If I want to change the state of a computer or a technology thing, I literally flip a bit, write a script, do something, and then, and then it's changed. Mm-hmm. And it may be persistent or not persistent, but it's just kind of the way that it works. Okay, now we've gone to people, and people, whether they know it or not, they fight for autonomy because, because that's, that's what we do. I, I, think, I think that's the reason we see like a lot of weird stuff happening in terms of like road rage and stuff. It's mm-hmm. because people have such little autonomy that they, that they get it where they can. Right. Uh, and um, and they do it unaware because it's, it's so important to us. But so so then I start looking at some stuff, right? And, and so let's dive into some of this. Okay, so we talked about some things. We talked about friction. You we, we just talked about uh, velocity. You know, what, what I talk about is like, if you want to accelerate change, which as a catalyst, I do, you have mm-hmm. to understand that it's, you know, it's not just acceleration isn't just velocity. It's also alignment. Well, how do you align people? Because if they don't, the vectors will cross out. You can have ten people moving in one direction and one moving in the exact opposite direction, but they're the bull in the china shop, and and they will they will cancel it out. Or what you mostly get is that crazy entropy. So again, when you study complexity and you study change, you realize oh that's that's kind of nutty. Now if you understand it, it may mean that you're ready to change, right? That's I I like the point. Look, people have to subscribe to the change. They they've, they've got to buy into it because it's something that they want. So. This is where I think people in tech, and I think frankly people in business, like I, I get our focus is looking at the tech side of it, but I think this is where people kind of, they kind of miss the boat on this. It's they don't mm-hmm. they don't do it right. So if we if we go back to like basic questions, right? There's this great concept called the three wise, which is different than the five wise. Um, the five wise is a good way of like problem solving. The three wise typically goes around why change, why change now, and why us. And mm-hmm. you can apply that to sales, you can apply it to marketing, you can apply it to all sorts of stuff. But but the thing is whether we know it or not, we're going through those, those questions. And what I find is a lot of people skip the why, like all of it, like, not mm-hmm. just why, why change why Like they skip all of that. No. And, and so somebody like me comes along, and I go, Hey, why are we changing? Because we have to? Yeah. Why? Yeah, why? Why? Why do we have to? Why do we have to do this now? Why? What? You know, and so, so what I start asking then are questions like, well, what's the better tomorrow? I appreciate, we're not going to be certain on the path. And we may not even be certain on the destination. But when I look at it in nature, we tend to change when the current situation is unbearable, mm-hmm. right? So it's typically like a response to a stimulus. But, but the thing is, a lot of times, the perception of the discomfort, right? And let's not say pain. Change may be painful, but, but I think for most people, it's just uncomfortable, right? Because if, if you look at what makes us comfortable, it's, it's just routine. It's familiarity. Mm-hmm. Comfort is really familiarity, and I think we've seen a lot of people in the last two or three years blown completely out of their familiarity and mm-hmm. therefore out of their comfort, which is going to make them even more resistant to change right? because it's all kind of spinning. But now if your perception is running out of control mm-hmm. and you're afraid of everything and you don't know why you're doing something, you don't know where it's going to lead you, well, you're going you're gonna to lock it down.
0: Yeah, which well, is a good, I mean, we're kind of backing into the second question, which is you talk about friction. Um, removing friction, and I think that you know uh, Stephen Pressfield has resistance, which is you know the dark energy that doesn't want us to create. Um, friction seems to be more systemic. Um, I'm sure there's some energetic components to it, regardless of its existence or why it exists. the The, the question here is, is How do you how do you remove it or at least reduce it within um, some sort of change strategy? yeah that's right that's
1: that's that's the right way to think about it like so so what i do is i group things uh together so so i talk a lot about chaos i talk about the holy the unholy trinity of uh fear friction and resistance and and what happens and it's probably more like fiction fear uh fiction friction not fiction well it could be fiction so what happens is these all interplay right And, and resistance is that little bitch voice in your head it's that thing that tells you you can't, you shouldn't. Yeah. It's the dark energy. It's all that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. But but if you if you break it down though, right? So fear, fear uh, creates doubt. Doubt creates hesitation, uh, and hesitation creates procrastination, and, and then the bitch voice comes in and and resistance kicks in hardcore and it kicks you in the teeth. We also deal with chaos. Chaos is is out of our control. Period. It will always be out of our control. People can try like hell to control it, and good luck. You will lose every time. Mm -hmm. But but those things kick us and then we get this what I call the uh, the tyranny of the urgent Mm -hmm. Everything seems to need to be done yesterday and nobody seems to know anymore where the real priorities lie These are all great Grounds for resistance to take hold and come in. So when you look at friction I think there's a systemic element to it and I think there's two two things to consider The first of which is most of us don't see it. We feel it We don't recognize that we feel it until it's too late It builds Mm -hmm. it builds it builds and when it's too late Here's the warning signs. You've eroded value. So typically I'll hear somebody say something like this. we didn't even get the project started on. I know this won't deliver any value, Mm. right? That's friction. Uh, It destroys trust. Uh, That doesn't really need a lot of explanation and it burns people out. Mm. When I I look at an organization and I look at the health of the people and I start asking questions about burnout, I can guarantee you there's gonna be friction. Here's the thing. Friction isn't just in the process and the tech. I would say the overwhelming majority of the friction we get is in communication. And despite our attempts at being precise, we typically end up creating a lot of confusion, and we're increasing complexity, and, and we're really then pissing people off because we've confused the hell out of them, and our brains are just not wired for that. We, we, we can, right? Like we have really cool neocortexes that can do a lot of really high-level processing, but not before it gets to the midbrain, not before it gets to the crock brain. And the crock brain is really simple. Is this thing going to take too much glycose or uh, glucose? Yeah. Okay. I don't have time for that crap today. Mm. So, so people who end up creating complexity, send you a very strong signal to your brain that says, I don't have time for this today. Right. And they don't. Yeah, pay the attention brain,
0: you're comp- we're competing with change. We're competing against the brains incredible ability. Really. One of the things that separates us, you know, from other am- mammals in particular to prioritize resources. Um, even if it, it's yeah. wrong, it's still really good at prioritizing resources I think there's something in here, though, too, is, uh, again, I'm looking at it through a non-binary, you know, third way, which is, is all, is it all friction? Is all resistance friction? And I think sometimes yeah. it's creative tension. Um, it's, it's, and I think this is true, like in a, in a intimate relationship, you need some creative tension because that's what creates the chemistry uh, between two people. And, you know, David Dida and the way the superior man talks about, like, you know, if you have to have polarity in order for there to be a, 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 a chem- to be chemistry and we're humans, we're not systems. And so we're, we're humans working within systems, trying to change things. We still, we, we, and I think this is the other, I talk about this in my keynote, the art of unfinishing, which is that people, men in particular are uncomfortable with not finishing something. Um, or I jokingly say men are obsessed with finishing <laughs> and, <laughs> So within that though, is the, the inability or the unwillingness or the unawareness or the combination of those things to accept creative tension as, part, as a healthy part of the process. You know, disagreement, dissent. those are all good things. Um, and I think the other one, you, I love that you brought in kind of the, the brain chemistry. I think that's so important. And then you look at the neocortex. The neocortex is phenomenal at basically two big things. One is association, the other one is projection, and I think that leaders, because they don't understand, most leaders do not understand how the brain works. They see the human brain as a type of machine, and it's not. Um, it's an ecosystem. It's a it's a complex system, and but it's not a it's not a machine, and so if it, we have some built in biases about change, which is we associate change with something uh, with scarcity. So now we're operating down in kind of the Lord of the Flies level of our, of our consciousness. And the, when leaders don't take time for within themselves and within the culture to elevate consciousness, and I mean consciousness like mindfulness consciousness, like, like not, not, not spiritual consciousness or social consciousness, but mindful consciousness. When you elevate that, you're elevating above projection association. And there's much, much more fluidity. And we could see this where... High conscious people or higher conscious people that are in together in it together in a system operate at a velocity that doesn't exist in the same system with lower conscious people. But if I walk yeah, in. And, yeah. Room, and
1: then, I, yeah, and then you, that's going to dig into the whole looking at psychological safety, right? People that have that higher level of consciousness tend to, like, when I go look at that and I look at teams and I start pushing around the edges of that they tend to exhibit that psychological safety that they will engage in that conflict. I love that you brought up conflict. I, I bring this up. Um, you know, you ask somebody like, give me the three parts of story. And this matters because there, there needs to be a story for change. And, and you'll say to somebody, well, what are the three parts? Oh, beginning, middle, end. That's like the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Um, and, and I usually say to people, wow, where did, like, where did you learn that? And it's usually like, you know, middle school or something like that. Right. Okay. By the way, um, when I met with Stephen Pressfield, he said, every good story's got a beginning, a middle, and the end. And I started to roll my eyes. He went, So at page two it needs to do this in the beginning and blah blah blah. And I went, Okay, so there's like one or two or three people in the world that when they say it,
0: yes, you they just
1: nod it. your head and take notes because like holy shit, are you about to get a master class here? But uh-huh. but the thing is most people when you say conflict, right? So a good story has to have characters, conflict, mm-hmm. and resolution. Right. And people go, Oh, conflict, I hate conflict. Well then you grew up around some really bad conflict. There is very unhealthy conflict, no yeah. argument. Yeah, we know conflict, how. conflict is the byproduct of progress. Conflict right. is part of change. If you have change without conflict, you've got to really ask yourself if you're changing
0: or, or if, if not. it's authoritarian, you know, I mean, that's the other thing you want to, if well, you want,
1: then then you just don't see the conflict at that point. That's right.
0: Because, because you've suppressed it exactly. Or you, you, you killed it off. Yeah.
1: But so, yeah, I, I think embracing conflict is, is good when we look at these things and, and that's the thing. So, so now we're dealing with people. The thing I always point out too is, uh, I don't like it, but in our current environments, people are just slammed and they're busy. Um, we, some other show, can argue whether social media is good for us or bad for us. I think the answer is I don't know. Depends. Mm-hmm. Um, but we certainly have even more com- competing for attention. You know, it's interesting. Maybe thirty years ago, you and I would have had a marketing conversation and said, "You got to get six touches before someone recognizes you." Mm-hmm. I think now they say eight. But but there's a, but there's a buried part of this. It's not eight. It's they have to actually see the message eight times. So mm-hmm. they're inundated by tens of thousands of other messages. It might take 800 opportunities. Maybe say 80, 80. to 800 before they see any of those eight. So it's not, okay, well, I did eight messages. They're good. It's like, yeah. Okay, no. so, so now we want to lead an effort of change that we can't control with people that we don't understand or didn't take time to understand we've given them n- no map they don't understand why they need to change or how they need to change oh and they have all their own shit going on in their own lives and their own demands and their own everything else and this is just hitting them as another another uh, obstacle well the smartest thing to do from a biological perspective is ignore it right cuz what's that crock brain looking at it's three things can i do i fear it do i feast on it or you know do i I like alliteration, but we'll say, do I mate with it? Those are kind of the three things at that level. And and that's it. It doesn't do high level processing. It can't right. do any of those other types of things. And it
0: doesn't and- do herd dynamics much either. I mean, you know, no. it's a, it's not mammalian. You know, mammalian are where all, all mammals are tribal or, or you know, a herd. And so we play off of each other's nervous systems. You know, the, the reptilian brain doesn't do that. Um, and 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 I think what's to your point about We live in the too much information age and information is not only been it's been commoditized to the point of irrelevance. Like and what's happening is that we make decisions about very important information with the reptilian part of our brain. Yep. And that's what I mean about raising consciousness. If you raise consciousness about it and here's here's the thing you mentioned this before about the why's. So I'll infuse some masculine and feminine energetic concepts, not gender, but the masculine is the mind, the feminine is the heart loosely. Um, And the heart is the why. It's where curiosity lies. And if you do not trigger and sustain curiosity, people are are doing it because of the carrot or the stick. Um, They're not doing it because they're engaged or enrolled or get gratification from it. Um, And I think the, the other part of that is that when you don't understand that the first, unless somebody sees their value to them, is that people at the end of the day, we are individuals that are, that are in, a, in a pack. We're not, you know, we're, we're, we are we this weird dichotomy of being pack animals that are very autonomous and want our sovereignty and individuality. And if they don't see what's in it for them, even at a subconscious level, they will resist it. Um, And again, leaders don't really take time to explain the why, like, why are we doing this strategically? But this is the biggest one of all, giving people the framework to say, why should I give a shit about this? Why is this worthy of my attention and my resources? What? Why do I need to replace this strategy with the one we had last week? Um, And I saw you really, I think you took what Simon Sinek kind of watered down with start with why and actually gave it some balls like that's the way that you talk about why is really interesting so
1: i'm gonna start using it now i'm like simon Sinek with balls
0: <laughs> that's
1: <laughs> not gonna get me in any
0: well way. what i mean no. is cynic is i like his his leader leaders eat last is a really good book well start with why is was like a it was like uh it was like a, a good starting point for my own like or like a, a catalyst hat tip to you for my yep. work but cynic outside of his books you know is just not that interesting and um, that's what i mean is like you you are you are taking these ideas of complexity science and motivation and brain and brain chemistry and you're putting them and you're saying if you really do if you really do want to increase velocity if you do really want to deliver value faster there's some shit you've got to do that you're not doing now correct and That's that's really what straight talk is is like how are you you're saying to them and this is this is, I can see this is on your gravestone um where it, it says your name that it says, why are you doing it that way?
1: <laughs> yeah, I I'd probably, it'd probably just say like, what problem are you trying to solve? Cause that's really where I start. Like what I've learned yeah. is like, what are you trying to do? But you, but you're right. So I want to point out something else too, cause we've, we've talked a little bit around this, but I want to make, I want to put a finer point on it. I hear a lot of people say, well, I'm going to go drive change. Good luck with that. Yeah. Uh, because, because you're just going to, that's going to, that's force and mm-hmm. force creates friction right? To me, force is the failure to influence. You Mm -hmm. can influence change. Mm -hmm. And and, and influence is going to be back to that, did I inspire somebody to change, which is that making that connection to their heart? Did I give them the emotional trigger to change? I'm not emotional bullshit. We're all emotional. Go look (laughs) at any of the decision science out there. All decisions are emotional decisions. Yes, if we're good at it, and we have processes, they are informed by logic, and maybe some financial stuff. And there's other ways to think about it. But at the core we got to, we got to build those connections with people to look at that. So what, so when I look at catalyzing change, I don't talk about driving change. I talk about easing the process. Mm -hmm. I talk about accelerating it and that accelerating comes in from an alignment. And then a lot of the stuff that you've said around ways that we can build velocity are all true. So, so some of your question was, how do you start to reduce the friction? And some of those answers are, we give people a map. Mm -hmm. We, we, you know, like, how do we reduce friction and everything else? But before I forget, there's another part to this too, because a lot of people say, oh, we should be frictionless. Unless you are in uh, high-end manufacturing where you have access to actual super lubricants, you mm-hmm. don't want frictionless. Friction is good. So to your point, the, the, not all friction is bad. What happens is when there's too much friction that's gone unnoticed, that's eroding your value, destroying your trust, and burning people out, the end result of this is your change effort dies. It grinds to a halt. And it, it makes everything more expensive, more complex, and take longer. Mm-hmm. And people feel that. That's almost every corporate environment today mm-hmm. at some level. And and it's But the neat thing about it is when you start shining the, the light on it, everything we've talked about starts to help people figure stuff out. Because mm-hmm. we, you know, look, fear, we're going to get fear spikes and fear loops all the time. Tony Blower uh, has done a lot of work on this in, uh, And he he has this great question. When you get the fear spike, ask yourself if you're being threatened or challenged. If you're challenged, it's physical. That requires a physical response. Probably, mostly running away if you get the choice. But the problem is to our brain, it doesn't, it's just, it's fear. Fear is fear. That's how we're wired. And it keeps us alive, so it's not bad. But a lot of times then we take that being challenged and we pretend it's being threatened. You're not, Mm -hmm. you're just being challenged. Mm -hmm. But- but so that's where, like, we have to elevate that, that sort of conversation up.
0: Well, so that kind of goes into the last question. And you are, you're kind of a bias buster. You know, you talk about shining a light. Um, and so we both interact with lots of leaders. So I'm curious about what is a, a perspective or bias that you see leaders having that you always want to challenge?
1: That they have to have the answer. That the leader has to be the hero. I've been, I've been really toying with this idea between, you know, do you want to be Luke Skywalker or do you want to be Yoda mm-hmm. and what Star Wars has given us is this beauty of, or do you want to be Ray or do you want to be Luke Skywalker? Wait a minute. The guy that was the hero became the guide. And, and I think that a lot of times, you know, you said something that's interesting. I'm going to think about it a little bit, but I think that what I would tell you is an exceptional leader elevates people. And, and how do you do that? You see the value in them before they see it. You see something in them and you can reflect that back to them with love as a mirror. And
0: mm-hmm. then you
1: can help them find the path to go to do those types of things. Mm-hmm. So what I see a lot of times in leaders is they, they have this feeling that they know, they have to know, they have to be right, and, and they have to do all the things. Mm-hmm. And I think it's quite okay to not be the hero, but the guide, mm-hmm. to not know the answers, but to ask the questions. And, you know, and it's okay to be wrong sometimes i mean sometimes yeah. it's not okay to be wrong <laughs> sometimes it's very bad your mission if you're wrong and people die that's it's very that's not that's right, not right, a good right. example yeah, right but
0: in business generally speaking it's that's why i'm always you know i don't really like using military terms to describe business because it's likewise it's it's it's, it's first of all it's like all right calm down uh, call of duty you know and second of all it's dishonorable to the people that have actually lot, died in died in combat or or lost loved ones in combat but anyway so what i'm what i'm want to loop back to before i give you my answer on this is why why do you think that there is this bias to have their answer where does that come from that's a social conditioning thing yeah i think
1: it comes from from? day one on the job don't fuck up welcome Uh to the tech team don't fuck up i think it got so ingrained in people that they can't be wrong plus i think i think there's a there's a cultural engineering mindset that says there's always an answer and it's black or white and it's on or yes. off and, it, and it's whatever. And and so as soon as you start giving them shades of gray or you start giving them, you know, the 56 or 65 million colors Pantone has given us, uh, they're lost. No, man, I, I you take your rainbow stuff and stick it. Um, I, I, the answer is yes. I've already thought about it. I'm very smart. Let's go. And and they never got accustomed. Nobody ever said to them, it's okay not to know. Because what I'll tell people And and then I want to hear your take on it. I'll say to them, it's okay to say, I don't know the answer. But then what I'd I'd like to hear as a follow-up is, but if it's important to you, I'll figure it out. Or Mm -hmm. I know how to get the answer. Or I know how to figure it out. Any of those are good good options in my my book. So I don't want to hear, I don't know. That's Mm -hmm. not exciting. I don't know the answer to your question. But if you help me understand a little bit better, I know how to get answers. I know people who can get answers. I know how to solve problems. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean you have to know it from the jump. Goodness gracious!
0: Yeah, well, and you—you—you you, you kind of touched on my answer to this question, which is, um, binary versus non-binary, or dualistic dualism versus non-dualism. And we, the machine age is by its nature very dualistic. You know, the machine is on or off; it it's broken or it works. Um, and you know that built—you know—the greatest economies in the world, and progress, and you know we, inventions, and all of that and but now it's all a commodity to a large extent the machine is the commodity the people are not that's why i fucking hate it when people say people are best assets they're not assets um, right. they're not part of the machinery so it's the same thing when security when people say
1: oh they're layer 8 or i so said there's a there's a layering of the tech and i go no they're not they're they're not no they're people, they're they're, people. and they're not users drug drug dealers have users not tech stop if you're calling them users, then, then, you know, go check, go check Back, yourself. Yeah.
0: So I think that the the thing that I always challenge is the, is that black and white view and, uh, but it's not like everything is non-dual. It's not that. I mean, it, it's not everything is non-dual. Welcome to the shades I, of gray. <laughs> right. But dualism, dual, dualistic is a tool. It's like a pair of glasses or goggles that you put on and you take off so that your natural state and this is where humility comes in and raising consciousness. If you have, if you're a humble person with elevated consciousness, you know, you don't have the answers. And so you don't have any bias that you do. Second right. thing happens with, if you, if you, if you operating model, all the, most of the time is in non-dualism. You're curious. You ask lots of questions. You prompt people, you you prompt contemplativeness in others. And you see you, you, are exercising the right brain, the creative brain, the feminine brain, um, that many other people are not doing. And so I'm not out there trying to get rid of dualism. I'm just trying to point out to people that it is a, it's a survival tool. That's all. That's what it's for. It's to look you know at what, resources.
1: Well, and what I really like about this too, is it's, it's just, it's realizing that there's tools, like yeah. it's, a. Uh, you know, framing, it, you know, mm-hmm. is framing or is, is structure, is that the writing? No, it's a way to think about the writing. It's That's right. A but but there's, a, there's another part to this, and, and obviously this will be somebody else's conversation or a future conversation. But the thing, I, this is something, so let's go back to when you and I met years ago. And, and one of the belief structures that you and I pushed on in that very first conversation was, I believe uh, that too many people are disconnected from their value. And the, the right. challenge of that then is that when you don't see your value, other people won't see it either. Now, the, the, the corollary, the beautiful corollary is when you recognize, when you recognize your value, you mm-hmm. more readily see the value in others and other people see your value. I think we have a real challenge in our society where people have been systemically disconnected from their value, unintentionally, I think, in a lot of cases, and, and, and therefore unaware, and people just don't know. Ask mm-hmm. somebody for their story and they're going to give you a resume. That's a resume. Yeah. Yes. Ask them a story; they can tell you it's on LinkedIn. And so we've lost track of our characters. We've lost yeah. track of the conflicts, the resolutions, our value. And when you're in that hole, you're in a vicious cycle, mm-hmm. and you, and you can't see the love. You can't see the good stuff around you. Mm-hmm. When what I find is the people that know their value, they're the ones that you're talking about with that higher level of consciousness, they're Mm -hmm. the ones that can ask the questions, they're comfortable not being right, because they'd rather get the right outcome, than be the one with the right answer.
0: That's right. That's a good stopping point right there. They'd rather get the right have the right outcome than the right answer. Man, you are a quotable, quotable man. Um, I'm going to put in the show notes that you, you've got to get out a notepad and write down some of these things because there's some really nuggets in there. Um, your brain is dazzling. and it does not work it, like other people's brains, that's for sure. <laughs> that's why we're friends. Uh, and I'll link to your website um, and that guide. Um, if you could send me the link to the guide, or is it obvious on your website where to find it, the, the take a break thing? I'll do both. It it should be published by the end of the week. I just got it back. Okay, it'll be great. By the time yeah, so let me know on that. And then um, thanks for doing this with me. That was super fun. Yeah, man.